So today, we've got new technology called a green screen behind us, and it's going to allow us to transport and fully immerse ourselves into any location we could ever imagine, like the ocean, heaven, fire. It's gonna be sick. So, hopefully everyone got the dress code memo. No green or else that'd be pretty bad. Anyway, let's work out. We're about to enter one of my favorite sections based off of one of my favorite Bible stories, the fall of Jericho. It's got classic marching, so we're gonna go ahead and bring it to a good, slow, even, steady march. We're gonna bring it to a circle around the wall of Jericho. Go! That's it. Let's put some more time in that. We're feeling it. I'm starting to hear trouble. What was that? Jericho! Okay, one more week, that's all. Uh, listen, if these are available online, I know you want the whole series for your exercise program. You can get those online or at your nearest bookstore, Christian bookstore, yep, there you go. Well, welcome, welcome to Union Chapel this morning, we're so glad you're here. We're doing a series called God and Your Bod, and here's the whole idea. The idea is to understand God's original design and intentionality for our bodies. What was his purpose in creating us with bodies? And once we understand God's original design and purpose, that will give us a place to stand. That will give us a firm place of understanding from which we can both model to the world God's best idea for our bodies and relationships and, and not only model but to teach. And so that's the idea. And we've been addressing a number of issues relative to our body and God's best design for that. And today I want to talk about the body in art and media. And this obviously is a pertinent topic because we see the body displayed in so many ways in today's culture. So I've chosen as our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, if not, we'll project the words on the screen. And our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church at Corinth. And the Apostle Paul is addressing an issue that relates to sexual immorality. But the reason that the Corinthian church got off on this tangent is because they learned that they weren't subject to the Jewish laws any longer as new followers of Jesus, and with particular reference to the Jewish dietary laws. And so they, knowing that they didn't have to follow all the dietary laws in the Jewish uh, law, they projected that onto their sexual lives, and so they were committing all kinds of sexual immorality. And Paul said, no, no, well, just because you can't eat, uh, you don't have to follow the dietary laws, doesn't mean you can do anything you want with your body sexually. And so he's addressing these issues. Verse 12, he said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, 
food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. So Paul now soundly rebukes this notion that the Corinthians had that they can use their bodies in any kind of way they want uh, in sexual expression. And so he reminds them that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God indwells us, that our bodies are sacred to God, that they should be used in honorable ways and not dishonorable ways. And so he reminds them of that. Later on, we, we hear Paul uh, admonishing to the church at Corinth that married couples had refrained from sexual activity themselves in order to maintain sexual purity. And Paul said, no, no, you do not abstain from sex in the covenant marriage relationship because sex is good, it's wholesome, it's holy, it's, it's godly, and it's honorable, and so you should, shouldn't refrain. That's not going to affect your sexual purity at all. And so th these were issues that had to be sorted out. Let me ask you this question. Does God see us all the time? Does he see us all the time? How about when we're in the shower? Does he see us then? Now I'm about to make you nervous. You ready? Does God see us when, when we're having sex with our covenant spouse in marriage? Is he, is he there? Is he in the room? Is he approving? Is he pleased? Can I answer the, all those questions? The answer to the questions are yes, 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 and yes. Because sex is a holy thing. Sex is a gift of God. Sex in our world has become dirty or shameful or secretive, not because it's bad, but because it's been downgraded to casual or common, you know, commodity status that we've talked about. The gift of human sexuality is among God's greatest gifts to us. But we've so demeaned it, so reduced it to the casual and the common, demoted it, if you will, to the jungle floor, that it's lost its glory. Fact is, human sexuality is so beautiful, it is so glorious, so holy, so sacred, so spiritual, that it's reserved for the marriage bed. When it's not handled well, when it's mishandled, reduced to a commodity of simple biology rather than being esteemed as a gift of God, what results is guilt, fear, and shame, and regret. But instead, Paul admonishes us, and we should admonish one another, that sex is reserved for the marriage bed, and it should be kept holy. So now let's just imagine the world at large, now we're thinking about arts and media, and 
And we see two people who approach each other and meet. Now, these are two people made in the image and likeness of God. They are persons. They have personhood. They have intrinsic worth and value as, as human beings. They are two subjects with value. And they meet each other and they begin to have conversation. That conversation will be godly and wholesome and good so long as each party recognizes that each of the other are subjects with that intrinsic value. When trouble erupts, it is because one or two, both of the parties stop seeing each other as subjects, human beings with personhood and value, and start viewing the other as an object. And in relationship, if we view the other as an object, then we can treat them as such. And the value and, and, and the holiness of, of the moment can be lost. Now, with those definitions of subject and object, let's answer this first question, which is on your outline, which is this, the arts and media in perspective. Let me give you some perspective on the, the world of art and media. In today's culture, when you think about arts and media, how is the human body most frequently displayed? As a subject, as someone of value and intrinsic worth, someone with personhood, and a whole person, or do we more frequently see the arts and media projecting human beings, the human body, as an object? Most often is the case uh, referred to in sexual terms. Now, we know the answer to the question, don't we? The highly hyper-sexualized culture in which we live more and more inundates us with highly sexualized images that objectify the persons that it pertains to. So what do we do? How do we respond to that? This is the world we live in. So should we escape? I mean, it's, is it too hard? Is it too overwhelming? Should we just go off the grid, you know, and dig a hole in Utah and, and live in a bunker? Or how, how do we work that out? Here's, here's the problem. Escaping from the world is not a Christian option. That's not the biblical vision. The biblical vision is to call the people of God to live in the world, but not be of the world. Now, that, that's, a, that's a, not an easy nuance, is it? To live in the world, but not to be of the world. So that's the challenge. That's the call. So I don't think the, the right response is to boycott YouTube. The answer is to be a Christian, to live a Christian life in the context of a world of YouTube. Now we have these highly sexualized billboards and advertisements and images. Last year during the Super Bowl, which is kind of the iconic reference to commercials, you know, in our culture, and there was a commercial that broke a record. Carl Jr.'s hamburgers paid $4.5 million for 30 seconds of, of airtime. Super Bowl commercial. And it featured a young woman. Now we know that God made everybody. God made everybody, and he loves everybody. He made some bodies especially well. And this young woman's body, God spent a little extra time on it. So for 28 seconds, in the Carl's Jr. Hamburg commercial, you see the girl, the young woman. The last two seconds of the commercial, you see the hamburger. Now, the girl is holding the hamburger, and the young woman is... Uh, eating the hamburger in those two seconds, but 
That's, that's the way that plays out. Now, here's the deal. When this kind of marketing connects an object, like a car or a boat or a hamburger or a taco, with a person, follow this now. This is the objectification of a person. And when you take a person and remove them from subject, no longer a subject, a person with personhood and intrinsic value, and make of them an object, now you are releasing into the world a destructive force. And there's no way to turn it off. And by no fault of our own, we are inundated with these images that objectify people, and especially women, in our culture today. So, for example, what is called commonly as pornographic images, we find ourselves using terms like dirty or lewd or obscene. Don't look at those dirty pictures. Here's my question. Who decided they were dirty? Who said they were dirty? In fact, the Christian view of a naked body is neither dirty nor lewd. Now, listen to this. God loves our bodies. God made us all naked. You were born naked. You are naked right now. I mean, over time, we don't grow clothes on our body. We're naked, and God made us this way. When God finished making Adam, he stepped back, the first man, and he said, that's good. That's good. And then he made the first woman, and Eve is, is created, and then God steps back. What did he say? What did he say? He said, that's very good. When he saw Adam, he said, that's good. When he saw Eve, he went, that's really good. I'm especially proud of myself for that one. So Pope John Paul II, one of our mentors for this series, he reminds us that we must assign the evil in its rightful place. The human body is not dirty. It's not evil. It's not shameful. What is shameful is when another person takes a human body, which is holy before God, and uses it by objectifying it for selfish or evil purposes. See the difference? When, we go for, when the body is part of subject and becomes object. This happens in pornography. It happens in much of today's marketing. It happens in a thousand different ways when we separate a person. Now, look what's actually happening here. Jesus talked about this when he was referring to, to the sin of lust, which affects all of us in a culture like ours because it's so highly sexualized. Jesus taught it this way. He said, when you, when you look at a person and objectify them and remove from them their personhood, what you're doing essentially is ripping that person apart. You're tearing them apart. That's why Jesus said, if you even look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. You go, well, geez, if that's the standard that's going to be too hard. But Jesus reminded us the reason that this is so serious is because it, it's actually destroying another person, that you're taking from them their dignity, their value, their intrinsic worth as a person by looking them, at them not as a subject, not as a person, but as an object and as something that can be treated like you would an object. And so this, this, happens, this happens to us all the time. That's why Jesus, in that whole context, he said, look, so if, you're, if your hand's causing you to sin, then cut it off. Well, that's pretty extreme. But it's extreme. It's hyper, hyperbolic language. He said, if your eye's causing you to sin, pluck it out. Well, if you just take that at face value, you go, what kind of advice is that? That's for rather extreme. 
But Jesus was saying what we do to one another when we objectify in our relationships is tearing that person apart. It would be better, better than tearing another person, ripping them in two, for you to take out your own eye. That's how serious the subject is. And so, so we have to learn the difference and learn how to live and navigate in a culture that is constantly objectifying the image of the human body. Let me give you this example. We sometimes use terms related to temperature to describe people. We say that that woman is a warm person. And if we say that, we, we say, well, she's very social or affable. She's a warm person. Or we say that guy's really cool. Or she's, she's got a cool personality. We may, say, we may think that she's shy or she's a little socially awkward or something like that. Or if we say he's really cool, we may say he's hip or he's fresh or he's current. He's a cool guy. Then we raise the temperature on the way we describe people and we say, he's hot. She's hot. Look at her. She's hot. Now what have we done? We've gone from subject to object. Because now we're looking at this, this person, this person's body, this man or woman, and we're describing them as hot. So the illustration is just to, again, differentiate between relating to people as a subject of, of intrinsic worth and how we can easily objectify people uh, when we get distracted from God's best design. So here's what the pastor's saying. It's okay to call people warm. It's all okay to call people cool, but it's not okay to call people hot. <laughs> All right, that didn't work all weekend, so I just, I, I did my best with that. I hope it added some value, but never mind. Now, here's something that most of the men in the room are not sensitive to, but every woman in the room is sensitive to in this whole category. For women, when images of other women are used in media and art, commercial, marketing, to, uh, to objectify their bodies. It has a completely different effect than it does for the men. When a woman sees this, almost without exception, there is a counterforce that occurs in the, in the psyche, the system of a woman. And she actually generates out of that objectification of another female body self-hatred and self-loathing. Every, every woman in the room understands this. And this starts very early as exposure to these images are happening sooner and sooner in a young girl's life. Any seven-year-old walking around with a smartphone is, is exposed to these images, right? And we don't recognize enough the negative consequences this has on girls and young women. Recent survey of teenage girls, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? 42% said their number one goal was to lose weight. Four out of five six-year-olds said they wished they were thinner and were afraid of growing up fat. By high school, a full 10% of young women have eating disorders. In today's America, there are 5 million people who have some form of dementia. 30 million have eating disorders. That's, that's staggering. Many studies indicate the most vulnerable age for young women is between the ages of 15 and 19. So these images imply, if I just look like that, then I would be desirable. So the challenge, of course, for us in, in the Christian world to get a biblical vision is to live the Christian life in the context 
of all of these realities, these pressure points and the disorders that follow. And again, the answer isn't to bury your head in the sand and and live off the grid. The answer is to create a godly vision of what the body actually means, to understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God, that we are made in our bodies to live in relational covenant with one another and actually as a means of grace, that God Almighty can connect with our lives through our bodies and through our bodies connect with other people in the world. And so it's very important that we understand these basic design and intentions of God so that we can live standing in that place. Now let me give you an example. Children should play with toys. That's what children do. It's a good thing. They should build houses and move dirt and decorate stuff and dress their dolls and all that. That's really good. Now in steps Barbie. Now we have a whole different situation. There is a Barbie accessory kit which you can purchase. It comes with instructions. The little instruction booklet, you open it up, and one of the pages just has two words on the whole page. It says, don't eat. There's a little scale that comes with the accessory kit with Barbie. And this little scale is permanently set at 110 pounds. It's very interesting. The average woman in America is 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighs between 124 and 138 pounds. The average model is about 5'10 and weighs 110. So you can see where it starts to break down. One author wrote about Barbie, and I quote, she said, Barbie is not real. In real life, her neck would not be large enough to support her head. If Barbie were an actual woman, she would be 5'9", have a 39-inch bust, an 18-inch waist, a 33-inch hips, and a size 3 shoe. She likely would not menstruate. She'd have to walk on all fours due to her proportions. (laughs) Estimates suggest Barbie would weigh 110 pounds and have a body mass index of 16.24, which is anorexic. But the message is clear, isn't it? If you want to be happy, if you want to be loved, you must conform to that. Yeah. So as a result, guilt, fear, shame, self-loathing results. So we have this culture now that is highly sexualized, highly suggestive, objectifying bodies everywhere you turn. And so you have boys and young men who live in this culture, were raised in this culture, immersed in this culture, and what's the message? The message is sexuality is on display and available to all. And so young men expressing themselves in sexual ways is rampant in our culture. And young women now filled with self-doubt and the self-loathing that comes from these unrealistic, ungodly expectations for their body shape and form in order to participate and, and, and what they believe to be the need that they have for affirmation and love, they will actually give away their sexuality to young men. And the young men will play along by offering the words and assurances of love in order to get the sex. So girls give away their sex in order to get love, and guys give love, or at least the words associated with love, in order to get sex. And this thing just, just continues to spiral, it continues to spin, and it continues to create dysfunction in our culture. All because of the pressure points that we, that we experience and we live in. Yeah. 
So uh, listen again, I'm not against dolls. I'm not against YouTube. What I am is for staying focused and protective of God's original design and intent for all of us. So here's the, here's the application. As parents and grandparents, there should be thought given to these things and some reasonable parameters set around your children. That's, that's an honorable and wise thing to do. And I could list a number of examples that I know firsthand with people in our church and folks that I'm associated with who have put up the guardrails around their growing young children. You know, limitations to the media, limitations to their own devices, limitations to exposure to TV, limitations. Just reasonable parameters and boundaries. Otherwise, if you, just, if you, don't, if you don't create any boundaries, the world, the, the world will overwhelm your children. It's the nature of the beast. So we have to learn, we're going to have to learn how to replay or at least retape the, the sounds and the images that we, that we play out in our heads. Because the, what the world says, if you don't look a certain way, if you don't have a certain body type, if you don't, if you don't have a certain style, then you're not valuable. You're not handsome. You're not pretty. And so there's all these pressure points and all these media images that try to squeeze us into that mold. So, for example, if we, if we say we judge another person because of the color of their skin, they're too light or they're too dark, and we judge them by the color of their skin, we call that racism. But if we judge someone according to their body shape, what do we call that? We call that glamour. That's just not right. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not good. And so we have to, we have to come to terms with this. And by the way, you know, what's popular in body types changes from generation to generation. The mores shift in this regard. Uh, if, you, if you go and look, and, and look at middle, middle age uh, art and, and the nude forms in middle age art, by the way, there are more nude artistic depictions in, in the museum at the Vatican than there is in virtually any other institution in the world. So the church goes, look, the human body is a beautiful thing. God made us beautiful. And so, so artists throughout history have depicted the ideal human form. And from generation to generation, the form changes. If you go back to the Middle Ages and you look at, at the, the female form in, in nude paintings, you go, geez, that, that must have been popular back then. And back in the day, women were round, you know, round bellies and round bottoms and, you know, just round. You know, like we would call pleasantly plump. That must have been, that must have been in vogue back in the day. That way you can tell your mother, look, it's not that you're not beautiful, honey. You were just born in the wrong century. You know, back in the Middle Ages, you would have been perfect. <laughs> You'd have to fight them off. <laughs> just born in the wrong century. So we've got to get perspective on this stuff. It'll be helpful to us. And the way we get that perspective is to remind ourselves what is most true about ourselves. And what's most true about you is what God says about you. And God says, you're beautiful. You're beautiful just the way you are. If I lost 10 pounds, God would really love me. No. God loves you just the way you are. He made you beautiful. And that's what he calls you. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus has a body. And the, the, prophets, the prophets indicate in the scripture 
that Jesus wasn't, you know, Jesus just an average guy. Just an average guy. My hunch is that when we get to heaven, we meet Jesus, one of the things we're going to be surprised by is, you don't look anything like the paintings. <laughs> and so we, we have to remember that all of us have a struggle with this stuff. We have issues with this stuff. We have baggage with this stuff. It's because we live in the culture we live in. Let me just put this on the screen for us Christians just to get a reality check on this. Let me put this on the screen. It's time we acknowledge that all of us in the body of Christ have problems with such things as pornography, body image, self-loathing, eating disorders, and all the rest. We do. And we have to own that. And so we have to, uh, we have to do something intentionally to counteract the pressure points that the culture puts on us. But we have these pressure points and issues because we're all members of this society. We can't escape it. We're in it. So we must reclaim, hear it now, our rightful role as image bearers of the triune God who calls us into sacredness and covenantal relationships expressed through our physical bodies. And so we have to rehearse the words of truth that God loves us unconditionally, just the way we are. And let me just add this caveat as well. The most effective way to counteract the culture that squeezes at us all the time is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you dismiss this as preacher talk, you're going to miss something. Because if you struggle with body image, self-concept, self-loathing, those kinds of things, listen to me. To the degree that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit of God to take up residence in you and to permeate your, your life and your thoughts is the degree to which you can overcome all the negative images and that tape that replays in your head, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm not going to be useful, I'm not going to amount to anything, uh, I'm, I'm never going to be successful. All that junk that, that gets stuck in our heads for all the kinds of reasons we can name, the best way to recalibrate the way you perceive yourself in the world is to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can think the minds, the thoughts of Jesus and be filled with the thoughts of God and remind you that the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And God says you are accepted, you are loved, you are forgiven, and you're perfect just the way you are. Can you hear that? So invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Spirit, please be resident in my life, fill my life, fill my thoughts, fill my, fill my mind so that, so that I'll stop believing the lie that the devil tries to perpetrate on my soul when I think less of myself than you think of me. It's good preaching right there. It's good preaching. I hope you'll take me up on it. All right, here's the second point. I just have two points this morning. Here's the second point. I want to just kind of change the subject a bit and say to all of you who have an artistic bent, you're, you're gifted in the arts or media uh, as, a, as a musician, as an author, as a sculptor, as a painter, as a writer, all these things. If you have, if you have capacity, you have spiritual gifts in this, these categories, if you have a worldview that appreciates these things, as Christian people, let me just remind you that God calls us to engage and to practice these capacities in the arts and media to influence the world for Jesus' sake. 
We should do everything we can using all of the means at our disposal to offer Christ to the world. And if, if you're artistic, then let me just encourage you and admonish you to take that up and to take it seriously and develop those skills and use them for God's glory. Let me give you a few examples. On the screen here is the oldest Christian icon, the oldest Christian icon in the world. This is Christ the victor, Christ the almighty one. This, uh, we don't know who the, the author of this painting is, but we know that it dates back to the first century. Uh, it, it still survives today in an institution in Sinai. You can actually go and physically see this thing. It is an amazing, an amazing painting. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as you look, as you look at that, I want you to put your left hand up and just cover, as you look at this painting, the left side of Jesus' face and just see the right side of his face. There you see Christ as judge, right? He's going to come and straighten everything out. Now shift over to the other side. Cover the right side as you're looking onto the and only see the left side. Isn't that interesting? There, there you see the compassionate mode. Jesus is coming to serve the poor. So here's, here's my point. So the author of this icon was very thoughtful. Really consider it. They wanted to reveal the inner life of Christ, the spirit of Christ. How beautiful is that? That is it's so helpful, so beautiful. And, and so you can appreciate that, that you, you can see the, the, the variety and the, and the diversity of our Savior Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. Here's, here's an icon you'll all recognize. This is a 3D of Christ and, you, and this great, iconic statue over the city of Rio de Janeiro. This is, this is the missionary Christ. This is the Christ to the world. You know, you can almost feel the blessing of God coming from that thing. It's iconic. It's powerful. Remember most recent Olympic Games in Rio? I mean, every time it came on, every time it came on TV, this is what the network would start with. You know, they would go around this iconic statue at the highest point over Rio de Janeiro. And the, and, the, and the cameras just pan around this iconic statue of Christ. And it's so powerful. It's so poignant. I mean, you didn't hear anybody say, you know, we understand that, that an image of Jesus Christ uh, might be offensive to some of you, and we don't mean to offend, but it is part of the local landscape here in Rio, and we just thought you'd like to get a glimpse. You didn't get any of that because, because the power of it is so substantial that no one, it never crossed anyone's mind that, that we should apologize in any way for showing this picture because it, because it communicates. Jesus Christ came to the world and he wants to bless the whole world. And here's an image on the top of a great city in the world that depicts that message. He's a missionary God and he loves the world. Isn't that great? I just think that's, that's just awesome. And, and so we... we we're motivated, inspired by these kinds of things. Here's, here's another artist that I'd like to introduce to you. His name is Joe Castillo. And Joe is a sand artist. We've sped this up so this isn't real time. But you can, you can get a feel for what he does. All he does is move sand around on a plate that's backlit and projected so you can watch him. And you can see what he can do. It's really amazing. Now let me brag on Joe. Joe is is an alumnus of Asbury Theological Seminary. 
And he appeared on America's Got Talent in, in season seven, and he finished fifth in America's Got Talent in season seven of, of America's Got Talent. It was really quite impressive. And we're going to use his, his artwork uh, as a backdrop to our closing song today, and it'll be very meaningful to you. Let me give you one more verse, we'll be done. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And this is the Apostle Paul again, and he's speaking to the church of Philippi, and he said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so this is where we are. We're left with, with the, the, the truth that we have been made in the image and likeness of God, that Jesus has been incarnate in the world and God wants to incarnate the spirit and, and image of Jesus Christ through us, our bodies. Jesus has a body and we have a body. And we are called to covenant and we are called to sacramental relationship with God and one another. We, our bodies are a means of grace. This is how God gets to us and through us. And so our bodies are holy and they are sacred and they are set apart to be used for honorable purposes in Jesus' name. And along the way, having, having a place to stand, along the way we sow the seeds and we ask the question, what's good? Whatever is, whatever is godly, whatever is gracious, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is worth repeating, let our minds dwell on these things. May God bless you as you dwell on the truth about who you are, made in the image and likeness of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we know you've called us into the world, not to be of it, but we're in it. And you've called us to infuse this world with your presence and your hope. Lord, we confess today our own sins. We confess we live in a world that intimidates us, so many people, so many resources, so many images, day and night. And Lord, we admit our own hearts are often divided, filled with all kinds of evil. We acknowledge all of it. But we also know today that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Wonderful. Thank God. So we thank you for the power of the gospel and the great confidence in knowing you are with us. So give us grace today, grace to model and to teach the incarnation of Jesus Christ as lived out in our own bodies and in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Would you stand with us?